0: Hello everybody, this is Adam Potter. Welcome to Jokes at My Funeral. Now to start off, I'm I'm going to be open and honest. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't bang out any kind of script. I didn't bang out any kind of plan. And I probably should have. Uh, that's usually how I do things, is I make bullet points. But as most things I do, it's kind of spur of the moment, because I'm going on my mood. Um, In good conscience, I I mean, I can't really go into anything that I talk about without explaining me first. Um, Most people, if they heard me without understanding me, would just think I'm kind of a jerk. Or I never take anything seriously. But I do. There's some things I take seriously. But most of the time, I'm always looking for the next joke. I am a 38-year-old unemployed father of two and not unemployed by choice. Um, I am applying everywhere I can, but transportation issues and this and that keep me from being as successful as I can be, but I did start writing, which seems to be working. Now, I released a podcast um, in an attempt to be a little more professional. Uh, Anybody who has seen me on my Facebook knows that that is very unprofessional, but that is my personal page, and I ask people to understand that. That is my personal space, where I put things out that are more me. With this, I will try to be more corporate and be appropriate. But I am a storyteller. I am a writer. I joke around almost constantly. My main mission in life, or it would seem, is to make people laugh. Yeah, we're not laughing right now, because I'm not cracking jokes. It's, It's a boring morning. It's a weird morning. Um... But I had to put something up other than that lousy introduction. So I'm going to start in with a story. Um, a personal story, I suppose. Um, I'm going to give you a, an understanding of me and where I came from. Not like anybody would actually care because I, I mean, I am a nobody. Nobody knows me. Nobody gives a damn. Because they don't know me. But people who do know me seem to like me a lot. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, (laughs) but I do like to uh, consider myself a nice, you know, welcoming, warm person. I just don't have any tolerance for certain things, Um, mostly because I understand (sighs) motives, I suppose. I'm always examining people's motives and why they do things. and And to be honest, it drives me crazy. Um, puts me in a negative headspace, and yeah, I am not a big fan of myself, when I do that, so I try to do better and that is <laughs> my mission now is to just keep doing better uh People who know me know that I was a massive screw up for about twenty years or so. I wasted my youth, did a lot a whole lot of different interesting things, and collected a lot of very interesting stories. So in this podcast, I'll be telling those stories, but I'm going to give a rough overview of my life preemptively, mostly so people aren't shocked or confused by something I say. Now, I currently live in Pennsylvania, but I am not from here. I'm from the great state of New Hampshire, born and raised in Ashland, New Hampshire. My mother and father had my older sister, Corinne, and then about a year and a half later or so, it was me. And that's the family unit. You know, pretty normal childhood, boring, uneventful. You know, we went to the park, we went camping, we did this, we did that, normal family unit. Um, and then around the time L.W. Packard, the mill in my hometown of Ashland, had shut down. My father lost a job, so he went to, you know, a couple other places and then found a job at Lakes Region Community Service Council where he met his friend Skip. Now, why would mentioning Skip be any kind of interesting? Because he's a key figure in my childhood, that's why. Um, As time moved on, we had uh, an addition of the family, my little sister Mariah, and she was born with... Yeah, you know, as most babies are, a gigantic head. Um it was almost alien like. I mean, if I'm gonna be honest, yeah, it creeped me out when I was a kid. <laughs> but big, big, beautiful brown eyes. And you know, she was an adorable baby. And then about two years later comes my little brother, James. You know, born at ginger, just like my older sister, Corinne. And James it was different, right? Right off, right off the line, he was. I I, I wasn't happy <laughs> that Mariah was born, but I accepted it, and I adored her, I really did. But James had something different. James had a gravity that just drew me in. So uh, life continued, and uh, you know, just mostly normal childhood stuff up until the point we noticed my dad. Not really being around, and my dad would try to include me in a, a lot of a lot of what he did because I was older. He could just tolerate being around me a little better. But him and his friend Skip were always together. And um, you know, we take regular trips up to Old Orchard Beach, and you know we we had a canoe trip every year with my family um, up in Saco, Saco, Maine, and it was a nice, enjoyable weekend. And from one year to another, I mean, it was mostly canoeing, but then one year we went, uh, what was it? Yeah, we went to Old Orchard Beach, and my dad seemed to love it there. So we went camping quite a few times up there. And, you know, Skip would bring his son, Kenny, who was about 18, 19 years old at the time, and me, I was about 10, 11 years old. Now, at the time, the music of the nation was Spin Doctors and Criss Cross, <laughs> and I was obsessed with both. As luck would have it hmm, we were up in Old Orchard Beach once and it was a good trip and this is one of the stories I tell Um, I'm gonna be very forthcoming and tell everything instead of leaving out some key things which I usually choose to leave out because it's not great now we'd go uh, there's one trip in particular that I'm talking about and that was a spin doctor's trip now, as I just mentioned, crisscross, Cross, you know, they, they had come out with Jump and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were sweeping the charts with Under the Bridge and anything from the album Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, <laughs> and Spin Doctors were quite popular. They had just come out with a second album and that had like Cleopatra's Cat and... You know, most people don't care because they didn't get that deep into the Spin Doctors. The only reason I did is because I was a kid, and my mom knew I liked Spin Doctors. She goes, oh, look, he doesn't have this one. So I got the Spin Doctors' second album, or a third, I don't know. The one after the one of Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. You now, we 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 had gone to the beach, my dad, Skip, Kenny, and I that day, And we had a pretty good time, you know. Um, I had a little phone, like, little bodyboard thing, and I spent most of the day in the ocean. And uh, and when I wasn't in the ocean, I'd get out, and I was sitting on the cooler. My dad loved telling this story. I was sitting on a cooler on the beach, and my dad had just taught me how to spell assassination, and an easy way to remember it, because he had told his teacher when he was a kid, how he remembers. You spell ass twice, put an I, then spell nation. So, <clears throat> me being a kid and having a real good sense of humor, um, was sitting on the cooler, and there was a couple not sitting not far from us. Now, they were amorous. <laughs> and my dad yeah, didn't really give a shit, but he liked to have fun with people. He goes, hey, Adam, mess with them so I'm sitting on the cooler and I'm just covered in my in my uh in my towel and I had a stick in my hand that looked remarkably like a gun dark and everything now I also (laughs) had a stick that looked like a knife yeah kind of irrelevant but it scared the living shit out of this couple because I was just sitting there and then I edged the cooler closer and I just sit there a little bit and the couple notices me move closer. They don't do anything. They don't They don't blink twice. So I move the cooler closer, just an inch. And they're starting to get a little uneasy. It's like, well, maybe the cooler's uneven. And then I move it about two feet closer. That worried them. Close enough to where they knew I could talk to them in a hushed voice. And I did. <laughs> now, mind you, I'm about 10 years old. And I'm sitting there, and I sit in silence for Probably a good five minutes. I'm playing a long game here. I just snap my head over it goes, Hey. Hey. Nothing. Hey. Can you spell assassination? And yeah, yeah. Well apparently this couple did not feel comfortable sitting next to me at all because they very promptly got up left. Well, I I freaked them out real good. The whole time my dad and Skip seeing the looks of surprise and terror on these people's faces, (coughs) just rolling around laughing. But then Kenny goes, son, if you're going to do it, do it quick. Don't play with them. They ran. (laughs) They ran. I mean, what would you do? A 10-year-old, looks unstable, hair all over the place, just spent a half hour moving closer to you and has what looks like a gun and a knife. Now, when I got closer, they realized it wasn't a gun but the stick that looked like a knife was hidden <laughs> so yeah they knew i had a weapon <laughs> and i never would have done anything to hurt him but yeah they they ran they took off as soon as kenny walked by and said son i told you if you're gonna do it you do it quick you don't play with them don't drag it out they thought kenny was my dad <laughs> no oh no oh no so they left and we left immediately after because my dad knew there was a good chance they were going to go find the police. Well, we get back to the campsite, um, you know, much later, and we walk over to the store. And, uh, you know, we we grab some stuff we need, and they come out, and Skip's carrying these bottles I, I didn't recognize. You know, my parents um, were, were very predictable shoppers. You always knew what they were going to get. Well... I asked him what it was, and he said, juice. Oh, oh, okay, not a big deal. So we're back at the campsite, and my dad and Skip, they're they are both tired. They were just out in the sun all day. They want to take a nap. So they did. Um, and they, before they, they go, hey, you want a drink? I'm like, no, nah, if I want one, I'll grab one. So time goes by. I'm bored. You can only have so much fun sitting there poking a fire. Now you think a 10-year-old would find plenty to get into, and yeah, I could have, but I was you well, know, a little shy, and not to mention, I didn't really trust anybody <laughs> that was around me. I didn't know them. Screw that. So I stayed put, and when I got thirsty, I went and grabbed one of the juices Skip got. Well, the, the I never noticed anything different about these juices. Well, come to find out there are wine coolers. I didn't find out till after. Um, yeah, I cleaned them out of juice. He bought two four-packs of Bartles and James. And as I opened the very last one, they come out of the tent. And, what are you doing? Huh? I'm, I'm Nothing. I'm just sitting here drinking juice. That's not juice. Yeah, too fucking late. They had a drunk 10-year-old on their hands. And yes, I did get sick. No 10-year-old can handle four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven uh, Bartles and James in the course of, of like two hours. So, yeah, no. But I didn't really notice anything different. I was sitting down the whole time. And, yeah, I also didn't realize it was alcohol. But, yep, they had a good and drunk 10-year-old on their hands. So they didn't know what the hell. You cannot tell your mother about this, my dad says. You cannot tell hers. Oh, okay, I won't. Can we go back to the ocean? I want to feed the seagulls. No, no, they, 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 they weren't going to deal with it. Like, they wanted to go out and visit and, you know, do their thing. So they had Kenny, the 18-year-old son of Skip, walk me around, help me walk it off and keep me out of trouble. So we're walking around, and we can hear somebody playing the Spin Doctors. And he goes, oh, yeah, Spin Doctors are here. And I said, ha, 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 funny joke. No, he wasn't even joking. We He walked me straight to the Spin Doctors concert a 10-year-old, yeah, music, not a problem, it's what people do at concerts, that was, so he goes, you want to go in, there's no way we can get in, we don't have tickets, he goes, yeah, trust me, we can walk right in, and we did, we walked right in, I was maybe a couple feet from the band, and (laughs) Kenny put me up on his shoulders, everything was great, you know, there's an odd smell there, and I thought the lead singer talked a little too much because, yeah, no joke, if you ever go see the Spin Doctors play, you're going to listen to Chris Barron run his mouth most of the time because that's – in them doing some stupid jam in between songs. It's, we don't want to hear you run your mouth, much like you guys don't want to hear me run my mouth. And I will try to limit this to a half hour because every story in its entirety goes on for about nine hours, but the main story I tell is about two hours long. There ain't a human alive that can listen to me for two hours. I mean, unless you're just really interested in what I'm saying and I am untethered. Well, anyway, to get back to the story, I left that Spin Doctors concert quite influenced and familiar with the smell of marijuana. Oh, yeah. I could spot that a mile away (laughs) because I learned what it was that night. And not because I was allowed to smoke it, but because I could see it and it was just everywhere. Um... But, yeah, the the alcohol wore wore off enough. We went back to the campsite, and my dad skipped. They went to the movie theater that was at the campground and watched a movie. And, you know, everybody's, you know, turning in. I I wanted to stay up and, um, you know, watch the fire for a bit. And Kenny went off to do his thing untethered by a child. So, um you know, Kenny and I slept in one tent. My dad and Skip's, you know, slept in another. I got the tents confused and I went in to my dad's tent. Now, mind you, what I saw could have been written off as, yeah, can you guys, can you let me know? You know, we could have been in here changing, but no, the thing that, told me exactly what was going on as my father's reaction because I just noticed a flurry of skin and clothes and blanket and I zip it back up because you know I thought they were changing. My dad's reaction flying out of the tent about 10 seconds after told me otherwise. He was mad, beyond mad. I just caught him doing something and yeah he he yelled at me pretty good he threw me backwards against the uh the picnic table I remember the sharp pain of the top of the table striking my back and just getting angry with my dad because I I I didn't understand why he did that but yeah he got in my face you ever say a fucking word to this about your uh, about this to your mother I swear to god I'll kill you that was my dad's usual threat um He did not handle emotions well. He had very, very little emotional control. Now, I'm not telling this to tell you how traumatic my childhood is. This is an event that I actually forgot about um, until about six months ago when I started writing about it. And it was a rough day (laughs) because I remembered I had known about my dad and Skip before it broke. I I had never said a word. And I eventually just forgot about it or shoved it in the back of my mind. But yeah, I had caught them. And I, I never said a word. It, 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 things went on after that. Like I had said something to my dad. It's like, you're just mad that you got caught. And um, I, I said some smart ass remark to him, which shut him off even worse. Because um, he was scared the life life as he knew it was going to end. But it didn't. I kept quiet about it. I wasn't the one to break it open. My brother James was because he saw something that raised questions. Now, around this time, we were building our own house in Plymouth. And uh, shortly after all this, we eventually moved. And my dad moved with us, but he was never there. Uh, he was supposed to come and spend New Year's Eve with us, and he didn't. My mom found him at Cold Springs, which was a like a country club resort place and you could use the pool if you paid money and yeah that's where they were um and my dad brought my sister and I there one day I remember the lady remark she goes oh where's your buddy you two are usually joined right at the hip I'm like wait what why are you standing hip and hip with skip well as you probably have guessed and you know (laughs) concluded by my my geniusly placed context clues, yep, my dad would skip, were, f- were an item. Um, long story short, my parents got divorced. <laughs> it, it didn't go well. My mom, she went kind of nutty. Yeah, I got super religious, dragged me to church, and my mom was raging against homosexuals, and not, I tell you, that was not the word she used. But, yeah, you know the word she used. That's right, the F word freaks <laughs> no yeah, she uh very very anti-homosexual super religious for years now uh yeah that was a turbulent time because they never got along they always fought my mom didn't want us around skip because his homosexuality might <laughs> might affect us she was basically just mad at the guy for splitting up her family and making my dad realize he felt a certain way about other men my parents did eventually get remarried when I believe I was about 15 years old, 14 or 15. My dad had asked my mom every day for a year to remarry him because him, had split, him and Skip had split. My dad just wanted his family back, and he loved my mom. I have no doubt he did. He loved us kids too, Um, but my dad was confused, and I tell this story because – He spent the rest of his life confused. And yes, there is a point to all that rambling. My dad spent his life thinking that homosexuality was either a joke or something to be ashamed of. So he could never actually be honest with himself or his family because he was too afraid of the the repercussions. And when he tried living his truth, it went really bad for him. Because my mother wasn't letting him see us, we weren't allowed to be around if, uh, if if Skip was around or any other homosexuals. And then one day, my mom just kind of gave in and said, "Yes, um, if it was okay with the kids, and of course it was okay with all of us. Why would why would we ever say no? What we can have our family back? Why would we want that? No, no. Mom drags us to church every Sunday, sometimes Wednesdays too, uh, like." <laughs> And yeah, like it was it was a breath of fresh air because then I didn't have to go to church anymore. My my dad said he goes, but you know, this this church obsession with yours has to stop. And we knew my mom was really only going cuz she had it real hot and heavy for this guy named Bruce who had broken off from another church because he was banging all the people's wives. <laughs> Not even a joke. Sing hosanna. <laughs> Yeah, Hosanna Christian Fellowship, which had you know has since undergone new management. <laughs> yeah, the the church kicked him out, so he started his own church, and I can't even remember what the hell they called it, but it was probably something like Jesus' Crusaders or. But yeah, the um, yeah, she had a real bad for him, and then she realized he was a con man who was just sticking his weenie in people and taking money and leaving, and that's he was a successful grifter because he had he had charisma but that's another story (laughs) yeah no joke i have stories about that and several of them um some most of them are kind of short but paints a good picture of life in that area in the you know nine late 90s and 2000 early 2000s but um again see i got off topic look what you people do to me (laughs) no we um we were able to you know live as a family unit and I'm not saying it was perfect because as you will see if if you keep listening the troubles were many and yeah it, like it like in the future you will hear drugs were a problem um my my sister um being gay was a problem for a little while and it was mostly because of the girl you know she she was with um she my sister could have been with any other girl and my mom would have been more accepting but again it was baby steps and my mom doesn't have the same view on homosexuality that she did in the past like now i mean we do have homosexual relatives and like i just said my sister is a homosexual karen um currently dating a woman um but it took some time for my mother to get there the the biggest tragedy out of all this is my dad spent the rest of his life hiding i mean who he was, and it, he wasn't even really sure who he was now in some some talks with my mother, like we've come to the conclusion that my dad was gay he did he did love us and he did feel the dedication to his family and obligation um but he tried to live both lives and it, it just didn't work. He could have had us in his life if he had just been honest with himself and us. You want to be a homosexual, be a homosexual. I mean you really can't help how you feel. You know, and hopefully nobody takes what anything I said out of context. Please don't. Um I'm not saying it's a choice, but my dad treated it like one. And he chose to live a normal, straight life because it was easier, there's less complications, but he was unhappy. And at the very end of his life, you can tell those decisions weighed on him. He wasn't honest with himself. He wasn't honest with anyone as to who he was. And I I think he regretted that. But in 2015, he was down again trying to fix... And tie off loose ends that he left when he was living in Florida because he had a double life. And my mom knew it. My mom knew he was lying. She knew when he was lying. The missing money and all that was going to, well, drug addicts that he was trying to help, which he wasn't. Um, He made himself a target. And people would always ask him for money. But he befriended all the drug addicts and prostitutes and homeless people down in Bradenton, Florida. And uh, I remember his friend Vinny died. He was devastated by it, like he had lost his best friend. You no, know, he lost a boyfriend. And uh, it's it's just real tragic to see how it weighed on my father. And he had health problems that, that weighed him down too. I mean, he, he was in pain constantly. He had a form of dystrophy. His body kept making tumors. Um, he's had, he had had so many surgeries. We lost count. Now, anybody who had gone through the hell, the physical hell that came with his health problems. And I know we all probably know people like this, but he at least could have lived happily with whatever man he chose. If he had just been honest and yeah, his family will need an adjustment period and all that. And, he just didn't have the courage to live an honest life and i i wanted more for him i i wanted a basic happiness and he he loved his children don't get me wrong and he did love my mother and that that's why he stayed is because it was an act of love for him for his family well i just i wish we had realized sooner that it it just it just wasn't him um but he did live a version of truth for himself he he chose between being an honest open homosexual man um but keeping it quiet uh, i'm sorry i actually just misspoke i This is the trouble with trying to record in an apartment with children. And this is why I try to do things during the week. But no, I got a house full of kids right now. (laughs) Any parent out there understands. But again, I do this for free. Um, I don't have a sponsor. I don't have a place to go to record this. Um, So I'm going to do it. And yeah, you might hear my kids from time to time. And you know what? That's okay. I mean, you guys might not want to listen to kids. But they're my kids. They're awesome. They're good kids. I have two boys um, and I know if it was me if if I felt like you know i i i I was lying to myself like I was a homosexual, regardless of how much it would hurt my family at first like i I would tell them and be honest with them and tell them like this has nothing to do with you it's because i'm i you know i'm I'm not attracted to women. I'm attracted to a man and there's only so much you know that you can do like it's much better to live honestly with yourself because then your family gets to see you be happy and we we wanted to be selfish we wanted my dad with us and it wasn't until I grew up and I matured a little that like and and we lost him I didn't realize this and well till it was almost too late I remember talking with my dad on the phone and he was down in Florida tying off his loose ends. And I told him, "My like, Dad, if you're gay, it's okay. It's okay to be gay. If, if you want to be gay, be gay, but be honest about it. Tell Mom. I mean, she'll hurt for a time, but she'll move past it. And she'll be happier not having to, you know, listen to you lying to her. And just have a basic respect and be honest with her. And I think he would have gotten there but he didn't really get the get the get the chance. It was in 2015, my dad and my mom had left Florida and stayed with me. And uh it was great. But my dad said he had to go down to Florida. He had to bring his friend Gene home who was you know helping my dad during that last year, driving him when he needed to, you know, go anywhere, even New Hampshire and Pennsylvania from Florida. Um stuck with him. Uh, but I did also suspect there was something else going on. And I'm not saying he had a relationship with Gene, but I think Gene relied on him for either his medications or his money. So we um yeah, I don't know why I got on the subject of Gene. But yeah, when they were when they were here, everything was awesome. I got to see my parents, although it was a more miserable time for my dad um, but he uh he really did try to stay right with us, but then he just came up with a really, really weak excuse of needing to go to Florida to try to find a place for him and his and and my mother to live now we kind of suspected it was a bunch of bs and it it sounded absolutely ridiculous but his reasoning is his reasoning we let him go and my my mom stayed right with me and i was glad she did my son got to spend time with his grandmother that he wouldn't have otherwise gotten and uh we we knew there were lies we knew he was telling us telling us things just to keep us quiet for the moment. And then doing something else. He was supposed to leave a few times and it was always a money problem because he had given his money away because people had to be paid to keep their mouths shut. Again, if my dad had just been honest, that wouldn't have needed to be done. And my mom could have made her way to New Hampshire with the rest of the family. She wanted to be closer to her kids. Her kids lived in New Hampshire. So that's really what she wanted, ultimately. So my dad stayed down there, and we had, again, made plans for him to head north. (coughs) And I spoke to him, and I, I told him, you know, if you're gay, don't come back. Just end it now, instead of dragging Mom through all of this. Because all you're doing is hurting her. And honestly, yes, I was upset with him. I was upset with him for hurting my mother. And I was upset with him for not being honest about who he is. And I think he might not (laughs) have been really ready to admit who he was. But I don't know. I don't know his real hang-ups because he never spoke to me about it. But I do know he uh, he loved me very much, as well as my siblings and my mother. That, I don't think anybody could deny. But we did uh, get to a point where um, he was going to be coming back, and he had to sleep in his car for a night because down in Florida, uh, there's Salvation Army, but if you don't have $10 to give them, you don't get a bed for the night. And that's all he needed was one night. Um, him and Gene had ended up fighting about something. And uh, Gene had continued to go behind him and say a lot of horrible things about my father. Uh, like he was uh, using intravenous drugs or intravenous drugs. And yeah, if anybody ever saw my dad, you'd see his hands shake. Now, it is unlikely my dad was able to shoot up, and he wouldn't even take his pain medication most of the time, his own prescribed pain medication. So there's a, there's a question of how much I believe, um, but I do know he actually started taking his pain medications toward the end, um, and maybe that's what led to him dying. But when he slept in his car that night, he didn't have a strong immune system. And it got him sick. He, uh, I mean, this was, uh, I think, January down in Florida. And uh, he'd eventually started to drive north and he stopped to see his brother Dana and, um, you know, visited with him for the day, my uncle Dana. And uh, my uncle Dana had uh, come out recently and he was living with a boyfriend in Georgia he was the last person to see my dad face to face. My dad went back down to to Florida and he uh was able to stay with his former friend gene uh his ex wife so he did know that he wasn't feeling great, so he went and saw the doctor and they put him on another antibiotic in uh, in addition to i believe it was ultram um the antibiotic that he was already on and from what the doctor told us the the extra antibiotic was too much for his heart to handle because one day he just he woke up and he wasn't feeling great and he wrote me that morning yeah, i love you very much son very was spelled wrong v-a-r-y that's my dad for you couldn't spell worth a damn <laughs> yeah he wasn't much for for book smarts but He was a genius conversationalist. He could talk to anybody at any time about anything. He was a likable guy, and he had a great sense of humor. And overall, that's what I remember about my dad. Not him living a lie, but the fact that he was a really enjoyable guy. And he knew how to read people. He knew how to talk to people. And that was what I got most from him. Um, I got a lot of his characteristics. But now my gift to Gab is is the one I'm most grateful for. But that day uh, that he had texted me, I was still a little upset with him. I said, like, oh, I'll text him later. I'm not in mood right now. And I proceeded to have one of the best days I've ever had in my life. I should have known something was up <laughs> because it it really was a banner day. It was just Carrie, my oldest son, or my only son at the time, and me. And we had a great day. And I was, at the time, we were expecting my Aunt Eleanor to pass away because she was a diabetic and she was in a coma. And my mom had ended up heading to New Hampshire. My cousins, Karen and Carla, came to pick her up um, rather abruptly a few days before that. And she was up there staying with her brother, Steve, my Uncle Steve. And um, I get a phone call. Now my mom knew that my phone didn't have a whole lot of minutes on it because at the time yeah i was still using one of those um and we were down to maybe five minutes um so the phone rings and well and carrie says adam it's your mom well my mom knows that i can't answer the phone because she's the one who used my phone used up all the minutes trying to get a hold of my dad and yelling and crying (laughs) <laughs> That's where all the minutes went for months, <laughs> because my mom was just trying to get the truth out of my dad. And yeah, she uh, she ended up calling back right after, and she goes Adam. She's calling again, and I'm like, and she, she, you know, it's important. If she's calling back again, it has to be important. So she goes, well, maybe your aunt Eleanor died. And I'm like, yeah, or my dad, you know, I said, or my dad, jokingly, not thinking that it could possibly be that. But sure enough, I answered the phone and that's my mom. And she goes, Adam, honey, are you sitting down? I'm like, no, did, did Aunt Eleanor die? And she goes, Adam, honey, please, please sit down. My what's wrong? Who who died? She goes, Adam, honey, please sit down, please. My mom who died. Your daddy passed away this afternoon. And then comes that moment of free fall. Now I never called my dad daddy. Don't get me wrong. I love my dad, but I'm not gonna go around calling him daddy. But she said that to soften the blow or have emotional impact. Either way, it worked, ripped me apart. It's like the further I fell into that free fall pit, little pieces of myself were getting ripped off from the inside. And then I just folded up like a lawn chair in front of my two-year-old son and my, and my fiancé, Carrie, longtime fiancé. And I just let myself fall apart. I didn't try to steal myself and stay brave in front of my son because I believe in being honest. I let my son see that grief. Um, And it absolutely destroyed me. Anybody who's ever lost a parent knows that that hopelessness, that loneliness, that pain, it it's like someone is trying to wring your heart out and it's bringing chunks of your throat with it. Your brain can't think. You get jealous and envious of other people for not having to feel what you feel at that moment. And even when you're not crying, you feel the weight of that grief. You can feel it in your chest. You can feel like your heart weighing too much and it's just pulling on your throat. That feeling in your throat you get, it just doesn't go away. And eventually it does over time. But I'll never regret anything like not answering my father back that day. Because the very least I could have done is say, I love you too. Made sure he knew that. And that's a regret I have. Now I know my dad and he knew that I loved him. My whole family knew that I loved them more than anybody else on the planet. My whole family. Now, I say my whole family for a reason. You're going to hear some other stories. And each one of them is family. I'm telling you about the family I lost. The family I still have. And most of that family is family by choice because I choose to have them as family, honorary uncles, honorary aunts, because my son's real aunt and uncles are all gone. But I made sure after my father died to never waste an opportunity, never, not with anybody, because I at the very least could have given my dad that comfort my dad died without hearing I love you back from his oldest son. My dad is my best friend. Uh, I was around him all the time. We'd joke around. I'd call him every day, and he was so proud of that fact that I called him every day. Once my son gets out of work, he'll call me. About two fifteen, three o'clock, he'll call me. And I did. Every day. Because I loved my dad. And he knew I loved him, but I could have at least... ...said it to him. And I didn't. I say it every day since the day he died. Every morning when I wake up, I love you, Dad. Now, I have added a few names since. And it's now coming to the point where I have to say, I love you, everyone. Because it's just way faster than listing every single name. And yes... I have compiled every name because I I carry every person with me. Everything I do is for them and my family now and myself. Now you're going to hear some more stories coming up about the rest of my family, some friends. And some days you're just going to hear me get on and talk and be funny. But this first episode is a bit of a serious one. I just need you to understand my story before we get into the ha-has and whatnot. But I'll mix it up. I'll try to make the next one an upbeat, fun one. Maybe I'll tell you the story about how I made myself permanently three inches shorter. (laughs) shorter. Actually, it's probably not. It's closer to an inch. But since that day, I have been an inch shorter. Uh, So... I believe the Eagle Hotel story will be the next one. But, eh, maybe not. (laughs) Then again, I got lots of them. But we're going to start off with a serious, depressing one because I want people to get this, to understand this. The people in your life that you hold in in, in high regard, that you have high value for, are not always going to be there. And there's no guarantee that they know how you feel about them. Because most people really, really try to hold back with that stuff. And I'm telling you, don't. Please don't. I don't want you to live with the regret I live with. And you're going to understand that regret a little more with each story. But you're also probably going to laugh because I... Well, let's face it. I do a lot of dumb things. Don't we all? But, yeah, I got to... I got a really high rate of really dumb things. So, yeah, you'll see. (laughs) And that's if you choose to listen. I don't expect people to because, I mean, at my heart, I am cynical. I am a very negative person in my personal life when I am alone. But when you see me around other people, I pick right up. I'm good. I'm a good time. Well, so I've been told. But. Being a good time when you're alone talking into a void. It's a little harder, <laughs> but I can still let me be me, and you can see my personality because I am always being me. But yes, I am. I, I I do apologize for the for the bummer of a story, but the message is the most important one that I try to promote with my campaign to laugh at your pain. Just because you hurt and you're grieving doesn't mean you have to be somber all the time and you have to avoid jokes and laughing because that's part of it. You have to make yourself feel better. You you don't have to make the dead person feel better because they're gone. Nothing can hurt them anymore unless you're hurting their memory. My father... Had had an amazing sense of humor. He's part of where I get my sense of humor from. So I celebrate the life of my dad every single day by making every person I see around me smile, laugh a little bit. If I see somebody crying, my instinct is to go over there and debase myself, make some kind of a joke, and make sure it's about me. You're not the dead person because you always got to test the water a little bit. Um, well, not always. I mean, I I have cannonballed into situations, and luckily, it's worked out. I've never really offended anybody. But humor is a tool to be used along with counseling, maybe antidepressants. And i I I know some people don't believe in them, but I'm telling you, the most effective tool you can have to fight grief and just the god awful, heart-wrenching, soul-crushing feelings that come with it is to laugh at my funeral, my funeral. I don't mind tears. That's going to happen. And if it doesn't, eh, oh, well. As long as you guys are laughing, as long as you're telling jokes at my funeral then I'll know I at least lived a good life and I got that across. You don't have to suffer through everything. There is joy to be found in every situation and laughter to be had, especially at a funeral. So you can cry at my funeral, but more than anything, if anybody speaks at my funeral, I want nothing but jokes told stories funny stories about me that's fine or just some random joke i love i love humor in all its forms i love cringe i love alternative i love well not so much the 90s form of stand-up hey guys what's with that airplane food (laughs) i mean right chicken or fish they're the same (laughs) shut up like, no, (laughs) but there's fun to be had, and just go have fun, have some laughs, it's what makes life, like, our best stories are told about a time where we were laughing, our best memories involve laughter and happiness, and yes, some sex stuff, some of my best memories are mostly sex stuff, but hey, who says there wasn't a bunch of laughing there, too? come on come on you call that a penis (laughs) no that's my belly button it just sticks out really far far. (laughs) right but uh no sorry i like i said i get off topic sometimes i get sidetracked that's why it'd be really helpful to have somebody here but yeah it's me and you guys are stuck with me Well, not really. You guys could choose not to listen, and I'm fine with it. But (laughs) there is some valuable information here, and I have an interesting story because I've had a very interesting life. Um, It has been described as uniquely tragic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks, go ahead. But it's also uniquely hilarious, too. Um, It's harder for me to... To show my personality because, yes, I am a rough person. I swear. Um, it's hard to keep me on track with anything because I'm interested in so many different things. You'll never really hear me trash talk too many people. I'm not into trash talk. But I am really in, uh, into uh, entertainment. I will entertain you. I will tell you stories that will be true every single time when I get on stage and I give my talks about my story, it is not nothing but grief and sorrow and not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, you tell a story like that, people are going to cry. I don't want that. I don't want you guys sad. I want you guys cracking up. I want you guys laughing. So I will tell you very serious stories. And I will also bring some lighter shit up to kind of break up the the heavy emotional feel. And sometimes I'm just going to get on and just run my mouth about random stuff that pops in my head. My best time to record is usually morning. So, um, but I make sure to to not record uh, in the mornings because I oftentimes subject top worse. Your brain's most active when you first wake up. Um, Little known fact, and some people, most of you, okay, everybody doesn't care but it's a neat little experiment if you ever have a time where you're trying to be creative right you need the absolute best your brain can produce thomas edison and ben franklin both did these similar not experiments but exercises they would fall asleep in their chair and while they would sit in their chair One would hold the rock or a hammer, some kind of really heavy thing, with a metal bucket directly under it. And when they doze off, they drop the rock or the hammer, and it would make a loud sound in that bucket, which would startle them awake. And immediately, they grab their quill, pen, whatever, and they start writing. And that was when their best work came out. Much the same with me. My mornings, I'm on fire. Like, there's no stopping me. The only problem is nobody else is awake, like, on the planet because I wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. because I got dreams that wake me up and, you know, really mess with my head. Um, also, I am, you know, diabetic, so I pee a lot at night. But we're working on fixing the diabetes. Like, uh yeah, like, one doctor prescribed me a medication that was making me hypoglycemic. So, uh, apparently, he had killed somebody. Um and got fired and then they called all of his patients in to get re-looked at because he was potentially killing everybody and I was no different he had me on a medication that was dropping my blood sugar making me even worse so they fixed it (laughs) and now I got a really good doctor Um, but yeah it was like like Jack Kevorkian had like somehow been reincarnated way way after his uh uh, this guy was born, or maybe possessed by Jack Kevorkian, but either way he's either psychotic or stupid and I'm I'm kind of glad he's gone, but wonderful bedside manner, he's actually a really likable guy, like most serial killers I mean, come on who doesn't like the show Dexter or Dexter himself? Yeah I mean, it's a good example and plus, you know, BTK was a pillar of his community, John Wayne Gacy, I mean, all these people have to be charismatic, and this is the the correlation between comedians and serial killers. Not that much separates them. Not a joke. Because most comedians, such as myself, we learn to operate a certain way around people. It keeps us safe. You've also heard that most comedians, there's darkness, real darkness there, and that's, that's no joke. With my history, with my story, you'll see it. But, when we get around other people, or just, like, let's say a sociopath is making a podcast. (laughs) Um, You act a certain way to throw people off, because it's much easier than, oh, you're horribly depressed and you're really damaged. Well, here, let's work on it. No, I perform. Everything I do is a performance. And the only people who see me at, you know, my real me is the family so I see I am getting close to my end here so I am wrapping this up um, serial killers they have to be a different way in public or they're giving themselves away and pedophiles um, they, they do a similar thing and you will see a pedophile through my stories you will see a pedophile and how he operated um, that is my brother's story Uh, It is not a great story, not for the weak, uh, the weak willed or the weak, anybody with weak constitutions that might be, you know, have nightmares or be offended by a story like that. I don't see how you could be offended. My brother was the one that was being physically offended. But that's for another one. We will get there. And believe me, it's a good one. Um, but yeah, those people have to operate normally so they don't draw attention to themselves. Comedians kind of do the same thing. I mean, it's not as dire that we hide our true nature because our true nature is to just kind of be negative and down on ourselves. But we do have a true nature. And with me, anytime I'm around people, I'm performing. Even if it looks like I'm not in the best of moods, believe me, that's cleaned up. Um... My kids only see one. Uh, they know me. But most people in the public see somebody different than the way I am at home. Some people just know me because they're close enough to me to know. But they also know when I turn on. And the second they see me turn on, like, all right, this is going to be fun. So it's just a matter of who I'm around and the energy. But that's one thing I got from my dad my dad turned on the second he was around people and that's why I started with my dad's story because my dad and the way he was explains me better than I could explain me so I am my father's son now for better or for worse I, I mean I guess the jury's still out but I do know I am a work in progress and this is not the final version of me and God, if it was, my bad. But I operate differently around and for people. Um, But you will see my cynical side come out because I'm just a negative person. But at least I'm joking around about it and not just being a miserable jerk for no reason. I'm a miserable jerk just to get people laughing. Um, But I try to stay away from hurting anybody because that's the last thing I want to do is hurt or insult or offend like believe me I really don't unless you're an empty headed like this vapid moron like bro dudes or there's so many people out there that hey that girl has boobies I'm gonna watch her yeah like it's, it's pathetic so I like people with substance and don't get me wrong I like seeing boobies too But I don't make my life about it. (laughs) I like things with, with content, with depth, something that's illuminating. I love to learn new things, and you'll probably learn new things with me. Because I tell stupid little useless facts, like the whole Ben Franklin hammer and bucket experiment that I just mentioned. So, I'm actually really looking forward to recording the next one. I will try to make it on time next week, by Friday um i may pre-record a bunch of them ahead of time and release them early i don't know i'm a loose cannon like that well you never know what i'm gonna do like i could just end this right now and you never